All right. As you've uh, been with us the last few weeks, if you have, you know we've been talking a little bit about uh, prayer the uh, last couple of weeks, and we're going to finish that up today. Next week, we're going to jump into our Christmas series, and we're entitling that Skinny Santa. Uh, maybe the, the, the word uh, will kind of define what that's about. It's about how we approach Christmas, uh, and uh, maybe we try to go a little skinny this year uh, in a lot of ways. We'll talk about that. Uh, but also, we're going to talk about Santa, and I've got to be honest, until this study, I didn't know a lot about him, uh, St. Nick. Uh, we're going to be talking about St. Nick, who he was and uh, what he did and, and why he became this, uh, this big guy in a red suit. And what we're going to do as, uh, in our discussions, we're going to talk about him before he got to the North Pole, all right? So what you do with him after he gets to the North Pole is up to you as parents and, and all that. But we're going to talk about him in his real life and about who he was and how he points us to Jesus and uh, how he had a journey as well. So we're going to talk about him. That'll be next week, and we'll jump in there. But today we're going to finish up our series. We've been on for a couple of weeks about prayer and teaching us to pray. You know, when we moved to this town about 21 and a half years ago, uh, we lived in, in town, actually downtown, for a year. And at the time, we were in uh, kind of a new uh, setting, and the office was downtown on Main Street, our church office. So it was kind of a little bit different, especially for us. We were, uh, had lived in rural Indiana for several years, and um, so we came down here, and it was a, kind of a culture shock, to be honest with you, to actually live in town. Uh, you know, Indiana's a little backward. You know I'm not a big fan of Indiana. And by the way, I'm not from Indiana. Uh, I'm from Kentucky, but I did mission work there for several years and, and got to come back home. But it was a culture shock for my kids because all, all they had known was really kind of living out in the country. And so suddenly we're living in town and the office is in town. And so it was only about three blocks away and the kids would walk down. It was really kind of neat for a, a different experience. But one thing we had to teach them was about how to cross the road, how to cross the street. And so we would try to emphasize, because we were living uh, very close to a road, a pretty major road, and they would walk downtown. You've got to really be careful. You've got to look first before you cross the street. You know, don't just run out. And that's, that's what we just tried to impact our kids with. We didn't want to get run over, uh, obviously, and you probably taught your kids the same. But, you know, it's pretty good advice for everything you do in life. When you think about it, you ought to look first. You ought to see what's going to out there, what could be the impact of your actions, and what are the first things you should do before you do something else. That's great advice, isn't it? Well, I want to give you an action plan today with some good advice when it comes to dealing with the challenges of life. A two-word action plan similar to look first. The plan, I'll just give you, I'll, tell, I'll let you know, it's pray first. Could you just pray first about everything? And we'll talk about how we'll implement that here in a few moments. And so in this series, we've kind of taken our, our scripture and our topic from Jesus' words in Luke chapter 11, uh, where he said this, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. You might want to note that phrase, certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And so from that, Jesus uh, agreed to do so, and he began to give them what we call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. And we noted that, that the disciples watched Jesus for many years in ministry, three years or so in ministry, and the only thing they specifically recorded anyway, they asked him to do was to teach them how to pray because they felt inadequate. And most of us, I think, feel the same way. So that's why it's been, I think, helpful the last few weeks to learn how to pray a little more effectively and to, to be a little more focused in our prayers. So in week, week one, we talked about the importance of relationship. Relationship. We said that it's, it's significant that you've got to have a relationship with God or you feel a little awkward in coming to Him. And we said that prayer is the difference 
in the best that you can do and the best that God can do. You might do your best, but it's going to be limited. But God is unlimited. So prayer is tapping into the difference that God can make in your life, what he can do. And we talked about in that message, starting with worship. Uh, We talked about then being fully surrendered to God and to pray with confidence. And last week in week two, we we took the next step and we asked the question, what if prayer is less about God changing things and more about God changing us? That we're not really seeking to get all of our wish lists done. That's not really why we pray or we shouldn't pray like that. But we're really wanting God to change us and prayer draws us closer to him and creates a relationship that we grow and we change. And we share four things that we should pray for every day. Pray for the blessing of God, which is the favor of God. Pray for uh, influence, greater influence on others, that we might make a difference in their lives. Pray for the presence of God in our life. And then fourthly was the protection of God. And we took that from a prayer in first, in, uh, back in the Old Testament in the life of uh, Jabez. Maybe you remember that. Well, today we're going to wrap up the series, uh, series with uh, some really practical ways to pray on a daily basis. And I say on a daily basis because a lot of us know that our prayers tend to kind of flow with the needs in our life, whatever's going on. If we have a crisis, then we're we're all about prayer. If things are going good, then we don't think a lot about prayer. But what I want to encourage you to do is develop a daily prayer life and a daily prayer time. And we need to make sure that, that our lives are consistent in prayer and that it's not just a hot and cold type thing, which is the way a lot of us tend to to run. And we're going to go back in Luke chapter 18, where it says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. They should always pray and not give up. Now, the the parable that he tells there is really all about encouraging them to be persistent in prayer. But notice what he says at the end, that they should always pray and never, ever give up. That means that we should pray continuously. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 the, 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 this verse of Scripture is one of the shortest verses ever. Pray continually. Pray continually. So if you want to memorize the verse of Scripture today, you can do that. Pray continually. You got it. And it's also a great reminder about how our prayer should be. We should always be in prayer. You know, I want to be a person of prayer. I have to admit, I told you up front, that I struggle with this probably like everybody else. I want to be a person of prayer, and I want us to be a praying church. But what I've discovered about that is that is difficult. It is very difficult. In spite of our best intentions, it is a hard thing to really get that discipline down because we live in a a difficult world, a busy world that's always tugging for us on our time. And I want us to do that not only individually but as a church. And, And one of the things that we've done for the last year or so is what we call our Saturday prayer. On the first and third Saturdays at 9 o'clock for one hour, two hours a a month, first and third Saturday at 9 o'clock, 9 to 10, uh, we have a prayer time. And and it's established, and and we just get together. Sometimes it's a little more informal than others. But it's a great time for us just to think about the needs of the church, the needs of our community, what's going on in personal lives. And anyone's welcome to come. We invite everyone just to come and share and bring your prayer needs, and uh, and we'll pray for you, whatever it may be. We want to do that as a church. But what I've discovered in this is it demands a lot of discipline, and it demands a plan. And so I want to help you establish that because I'm in the process of kind of rebuilding some things in my own life, and I'll I'll tell you about those in just a moment. But we all need to have a plan, and we all need to be very intentional about that. So let me give you three things that I think are very important if you're going to make prayer a part of your everyday life. 
Here's number one, find a certain time. Find a certain time to pray. Now, you may say, I don't have time to pray. But we know that every one of us, we make time for what's important. We can watch four hours of TV and go, I just wish I had time to pray without thinking, wow, I, I could have watched three and a half or three or two. I got plenty of time, you know. We all have time to do what's important. So you need to set a time and then you need to keep that time. Because if you do not, you will not pray. I promise you that. Don't leave it to the leftover time because you won't have any. There will not, there's never any leftover time in most of our day. I think for a lot of us, it's kind of like giving. If you don't plan your giving and you don't give intentionally and budget your giving, you won't give. I mean, that's just how it is because there's never any money left over. Two things. There's never leftover money. There's never leftover time. And so you need to budget both your giving, your, your money, and also your time if you're going to have time for God. Now, what I've discovered is that most people probably do it in the morning. Even though you may not be a morning person, it is probably best to try to do it in the morning. That's a good pattern of Jesus. He would either pray all night or go out early in the morning to pray. So can't beat that model. But before you start anything else, maybe it's a good time just to say, I'm going to give God some time. Now, what I've discovered about that is that morning is one of those times when you always can make time. And none of us want to do that. But all you have to do is set your clock a little earlier. And you've automatically created that time. Now, I know that's an unpopular thing, but that's how you do it. And I've had several times to adjust my wake-up time. Uh, and I don't wake up the same time every day. So it's, uh, you know, I have to figure out. I have to build that time in. I promise you it's there. Uh, you just slept through it most of your life, all right? But you schedule it and put it on your calendar and make sure that you do not uh, uh, break into that and do something else, all right? Here's what I would encourage you. I would encourage you to pretend that you have an appointment with God, that you are setting an appointment with God, his time, and you're not going to rob God of his time. Now, I want to tell you, I'm pretty convicted about this because I've recently changed my study and my prayer time around because I started robbing God, and I'll tell you how, how, how I would do that. Typically, what I would do, I would go in and I would get ready and uh, you know, get dressed and everything, and then I would go out and I'd sit into our, in our living area and I would sit down, and I would pick up my Bible uh, on my phone. I would pick my phone up because that's where I've been reading uh, the Bible. I've got an app that does, which is great. But that's what I was doing. Now, the problem with that, you probably know what the problem with that is. You always got something on your phone. You know, you got a notification. You got message. You got voicemail. You got your calendar. You know, you've got the news. You know, you got everything. Weather, uh, you know, when, when I go into the, that room, everything is around me. And, and what I discovered is that there was always something begging for my time, and I would end up doing that. I would end up checking the news, the weather, the calendar, the dog would want to go out. What is it about the dog? It sleeps all night, and then the moment you get up, the dog has got to go out, all right? So what, what you do, though, is you're, you're stealing time from God when you allow those things to intrude on your time. And so you need to set a time and, and, and keep that time and protect that time from anything and everything else. Um, in Daniel chapter 6, great example of a man who set time to pray. He lived in Babylon during that time, which was exile. So he was a, a Jewish man in exile. He had some freedom. He was actually a leader in that country. But the king made a decree that no one could pray anytime except to himself. He was kind of deceived into making that decree. But, uh, but Daniel suddenly has got to make a choice. Do I keep my prayer time? And you probably know the story. It says, now when Daniel learned the decree had been published... 
He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. You see, Daniel was the kind of guy that you could set your clock by his prayer times. Whatever time they were, people knew that automatically. They knew it so well. He was so predictable that his enemies who had convinced the king to do this, they knew when they would catch him praying. He was so predictable in that. And so he didn't let them down. He, he went and, and prayed. And of course, we know the rest of the story. He was thrown into a lion's den, which was going to be the punishment for that. But you all probably also know the story that he survived that, no doubt praying all night that God would close the lion's mouths, and then his enemies end up feeding the lions a little bit later. But what we learn from that is, is that we need to have a certain time. Be predictable, be faithful no matter what comes up, and things will come up, but have a certain time. Here's the second thing. Have a certain place. Have a certain place. You know, for a lot of us, we, we just go anywhere, and we don't have a specific place. But you need to have a, a certain place. And, and I'll show you mine. I think there's a picture up there. Um, yes, there it is. Back in a corner. Now here, here's the other thing. Uh, this is in my closet. And you might notice it has a blank wall, two of them, and my clothes hanging next, and a little bitty desk, and my, my Bible and my uh, notebook there. And here's why I do that. I told you earlier, when I went into the big room, there was a lot going on. That's where we watch TV, it's where we talk, it's where a lot of things happening. And, and I, I can't handle that a great deal, you know? I need to have a spot to meet God alone with distractions where I only do that. And I don't know if you have a place in your house you can do that. I created mine, I threw a bunch of stuff out and created a spot there. Jesus oftentimes spent the night in prayer in a solitary place. And we need to have a solitary place for that. Jesus would go, many say, on the Garden of Gethsemane on Mount of Olives, but we probably are not going to make it there. So we need to make a place in our home that is, is just for us, that is a prayer place, that we don't have any distractions at all that, that's, that's going on there. Uh, a few years ago, there was a movie called War Room. Maybe some of you saw that. And there was an elderly Christian woman who had a, a, a place in her closet that she called her war room, and she said, that when, in order to stand up and fight the devil or the enemy, you need to get down on your knees and pray. And so I would encourage you to find a place in your room or in your house somewhere, even a corner of a place, and make that a place of prayer that you focus on. And that's the third thing. Have a certain plan. Have a plan. Be prepared and have a guide. Now, again, I have a lot of mental squirrels that run through my mind when I close my eyes. And I'm easily distracted by those things. And that's what really has bothered me, you know, is all these things are happening. I'm thinking, and pretty soon I'm so far from even godly thoughts sometimes and just mundane things or everything under the world. And I believe Satan is going to put those things in our minds. So we need to have an intentional plan, and I believe an outline of some sort. You may have seen a, a, a kind of a notebook laying there on, on that little desk, which says, I want to have some things to focus on in prayer. Because I want to keep my mind on the, on the right track. I don't want it getting off and thinking about what I'm going to do later in the day or, or, or goodness knows what. I just want to focus my mind, and I need, I need visual things to, to do that, all right? So here's how uh, we should do that, and we can base this even on the model prayer. Remember, Jesus said, I'm going to teach you how to pray, not just say the words of the Lord's Prayer, but here's the plan or the path of the Lord's Prayer, kind of a plan of how we should pray. First of all, start with worship. Remember that a couple weeks ago. Jesus said, this is how you pray, hallowed be your name. So you start with worship. Secondly, pray for the things that God would want done. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done. We're not seeking for our will to be done because we don't know the best thing to be done. We want God's things, God's will to be done. Thirdly, pray for your needs. It's okay to pray for your needs. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. So you need food so you can pray for the basics of life. Next, get your heart right before God. Jesus said, we pray, forgive us our sins. Part of our prayer life ought to be asking God for forgiveness of our sins. Next, get your heart right toward others. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. So if people had offended you, you ought to pray and ask God to help you forgive them and and extend that and then maybe go on later on and, and deal with them personally. But get your heart right toward others. And then fourthly, fight the devil. Or excuse me, last, fight the devil. And lead us not into temptation, which is the last part of that prayer. So if you look at the Lord's Prayer, there's a really simple model of praying through that will keep you focused. Maybe this is all you, you focus on. I'll, I'll share some details here in a few moments, but, but uh, this is a great plan to start with. So you need to have a certain time, a certain place, and a certain plan. And here's why. Because a good prayer life is not going to happen by accident. It is not going to just you know, wake up one day and go, wow, I have a really deep prayer life. I have no idea why. Now, you've got to be intentional about that. You've got to plan that. And when you pray like this, it will change your life. It will change the lives of other people as well. And that's why I wanted to give you kind of that two-word reminder there, that action step that I want you to remember, and that is to pray first. Pray first. I think it kind of goes along with the idea of praying in the morning. Praying first is a great time before you do anything else. Pray first. I would love for that to be the motto of our church and of all of us as individuals, that no matter what we're doing, we're going to pray first. If we're getting ready to go into a meeting, uh, we're going to pray first. If we have a doctor's appointment, we're going to pray first. If you're making some decision, small or large, pray first. This uh, holiday season, you're going to a family gathering that you're not sure how it's going to go. You just need to pray first. If you're leaving the house to go on vacation, if you're, you know, if you're going to be um, you know, going to school, kids are leaving home, just pray first. Pray first. If you could remember that little mantra you know, we oftentimes do that before our prayers. Hopefully, you pray before you eat. But So whatever you're doing, think of it in the same way that you're going to pray first. It doesn't have to be a long prayer, drawn out. You don't have to make a big deal, but just pray first whatever you're doing before God. You see, because when we pray first, it brings the, invites the power of God into our life regardless of what's going on. Second Chronicles chapter 7 says, When I stood up to heaven so there's no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So God is saying, if you are dealing with challenges in your life, when hardships come, things like uh, famine, and that day were the big deal, crop failure, pestilence, sickness, natural enemies, and disasters, difficult days, when those things come, the first thing we should do is we should pray. Pray first ought to be our mantra. Always be our first response. Now, let me give you four areas that I think you ought to think about praying first in. What are four areas that we need to pray first for? Here's the first one. Pray first for our nation, for our country. Guys, we often don't pray for our nation, and we're seeing the result of that, I believe. We're living in difficult times in our country. Our country is split almost evenly down the middle. And for the first time ever, really, in our country, our democracy, which is a great experience, uh, experiment, excuse me, 
experiment that God has blessed is being threatened. It's being threatened by socialism, which is, is not a Bible teaching at all. The biblical values that our country was just founded upon are being challenged and threatened by a progressive agenda. And I know that, you know, none of that's popular to think about or talk about. And in fact, as Christians, sometimes we're even you know, tempted to kind of stick our heads in the sand. It's pretty obvious that we do that. But I want to encourage you as a Christian to pray for your nation. Not only should we pray, but we also should act as well. We should register and vote. I'll never tell you how to vote, but, but I will encourage you that you ought to be informed and you ought to vote the values that God puts upon your heart. Don't vote a party. No party fully represents Christian values. I believe that. So I would encourage you not to follow that, but, but think for yourself. 40 to 50% of Christians do not vote. Half of, of Americans don't vote, over half, but over half of Christians don't vote. So obviously, you know, we have a lot of freedom here, and Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, but he t- did tell us to be salt and light, make an impact on our world. We ought to do that, but we also ought to pray, because ultimately our hope is not going to be in any man, any office, no election. Salvation is not going to come from the government or anybody we elect, only from our Lord. But we ought to use our wisdom and, our tr- and truth of God's word to help us not only select leaders, but to support them. And we ought to pray for them regardless of whether we choose them or not. Why? Because God has the power to influence people. If you read the Bible, you will see that God influenced even wicked leaders all the way down through time. So God has the power to influence when people are praying for him, whether we choose them or not. 1 Timothy chapter 2 does not give conditions when it says that we ought to pray for our leaders. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. What does that mean? It means that we pray for people who are at the head of things, for our president, for our Congress, our Supreme Court, that we pray for our our state leaders and our local leaders, that we pray first. We may not agree with them. In many ways, we don't. But we need to pray for them. It's one thing we can do without condoning or condemning anything they do is just pray for them. Pray for our nation. Secondly, pray first for our family. Pray for our family. Pray for everything our family does. Pray for safety of your family, for blessing. Pray for courage. Pray for purity. Pray for wisdom of your family. And guys, here's a big deal. Men and women, both pray for your spouse. Pray for the person you're married to especially if you're struggling. And here's what I've found. It's kind of hard to hate somebody when you're praying for them. So if you're in conflict with someone, start praying for that person, and God will will make you at least a part of the solution. Uh, If he doesn't solve everything, God will work powerfully in that. Pray for your children. Pray for their faith and for their witness and their future and their future mates. You know, we prayed for years for the the mates of our children that God would be working through... um, Uh, their parents, whoever they may be, and and that God would be preparing them and God would bring them together. As we see how God brought our children's mates, them them together, it had to have been prayer. You know, God just did things that we could never have foreseen, and so pray for them. Pray for your parents. Pray for your, your siblings and their families. The family that prays together stays together. It's proven there's less conflict and separation and divorce and alienation in praying families. So pray for and intercede for your family. Pray first on all family issues. Very important. And along with that, pray for your church family too. 
Pray for your church family. Sometimes our brothers and sisters in Christ become closer to us than even our blood family. So pray for your, the people that, that you know, other Christians. Pray for our elders to lead like fathers would with love and, and wisdom and direction in God's family. Pray for our deacons and, and for our staff and our volunteers and children and youth workers and group leaders, all the volunteers, people who serve. So easy to, for us to find fault sometime with our church family, but if you consider it your true family and you pray before you criticize or you get frustrated, it makes it so much better. Pray for your family, real and church as well. Thirdly, pray for the lost. Pray for the lost. You know, part of the model prayer is to pray that God's will might be done. And we know that one of God's wills, primary wills, that all would be saved. Second Peter chapter 3 says, the Lord's not slow concerning his promises. Some people regard slowness, but he is being patient towards you because he does not want anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. So if it's God's will for everyone to be saved, then we ought to be praying for the lost. Because Jesus had a burden for lost people. It ought to be on our hearts as well. Matthew chapter 9 says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. When Jesus saw people who were lost, he had compassion on them, and he began to reach out to them, and, and he wanted to give them direction and hope. So we ought to pray for the lost, not be judgmental, but there are people, obviously, who don't know the Lord and aren't seeking the Lord. Ask God to give you a heart for people who are far from him. Ask him to put a lost person in your path, to create a relationship that you might be willing to talk to them and have some influence in their life, and then begin to pray for them specifically. Pray for those who are far from the Lord. And then fourthly, pray first for my own, your own needs, for your needs. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging that you have needs. And by the time that we've come to God in worship and we've you know, been right with him and we've sought his blessing and his will in our life, then we have the freedom and the right to ask him for our own needs to be met. And the model, that, then the prayer that we have that Jesus gave us said, you know, pray for our daily bread, which I believe represents the needs that we have in our own life. So whenever you have a need, you know, sickness, finances, relationship problems, whatever it might be, you do what you can to improve them, but you pray first. Pray first for that. Philippians 4 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What's he saying? He's saying pray in prayer and petition with every situation, and thanksgiving for what God's going to do, but always pray first. Always pray first. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, we've done all that we can do, and now all we can do is pray? You know, I just, I hate to hear that. You know, we, we say that sometimes, all we can do is pray now. You know what? Prayer should be our first response and not our last resort, shouldn't it? Not our last resort. I don't know what else to do. We guess we can just pray for it now. It should be our first response. So, so can we just agree that we're going to decide, discipline ourselves to simply pray first. Whatever the issue, I want to encourage you to pray first. If we learn nothing else today than that, that would be great. In our mind, the first thing I'm going to do is going to, I'm going to pray. Now, maybe you're here today and you say, well, you're Ron Andy, that sounds great, great in, in theory. But when I pray, I just feel like it doesn't go anywhere. I just feel like that my prayers are just, you know, hit the ceiling and they bounce off. 
and my prayers are empty. And I would say, let's go back to where we began to say that relationship is crucial in this. It is so crucial in that. You know, I believe that God hears every prayer, and the prayer of a person who's far from God, when they come and they, you know, want to come to God, a prayer of conviction and belief, God hears that. But you know what? If, if all we do is we just throw up prayers to God and we have no relationship with him any other time, you know, it, it is not going to be as effective as, as if we have a relationship. It's like trying to talk to somebody about an intimate subject when you don't know them. You don't, they're not close to them. It's just awkward. It's just uncomfortable, and, you know, for everybody involved. And so I would encourage you, if you feel like your prayer life is, is not effective, work on improving the relationship. Knowing that God is waiting for you to come to him, and he'll welcome you back. Maybe it's been a while since you came to him, you know, and, and it is uncomfortable, but just come to him in sincerity and worship and humility and just say, God, I'm, I'm coming home. I'm coming back. I want to I be close to you. And when you start with worship and praise and you ask him to forgive you uh, of, your, uh, of your dry season and, and to ask him if your prayers would be answered and, and to seek him, and to ask him for the filling of his Holy Spirit, remember his presence in your life, so that you would know the will of God. You surrender and you pray, not my will, but your will be done. When you begin to bridge that, that gap between you and God and you come back to him, I know you're going to begin to see your prayers answered because God is faithful. And God wants us to come and seek him and to know him. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you've never had a relationship with God. Maybe uh, you're not, not just a dry time, it's just a time that you've never experienced before. And you want to talk about that next step on your journey. I would love to spend some time doing that with you. And we don't have to do it immediately this morning, but if you would just stop by and, and just say something to me, we'll, we'll make some contact or on your Connect card, uh, there was a place to jot it down. You can grab another of those and, and turn that in. But we'd love to have a connection with you. We'd love to talk to you about your step. Maybe it's your first step or your next step on your journey toward Christ. And you'll have a chance to do that in just a moment. I'd, I'd love to meet with you over here. I'll be standing to one side. But while I'm doing that, we're going to be also having a time of uh, communion. We're going to transition into that moment. And we have our tables up here, and it's our tradition every Lord's Day to come together, gather around the table, and to share in the symbols, the piece of bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken for us, and the, the cup of juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed for us. Jesus said before his death, do this in remembrance of me. And as often as you do this, uh, you know, I'll come and I'll commune with you. So we call that communion time, and we invite all believers to come and to share in that. And we'll just ask you to just come forward uh, up to center aisles and around the outside uh, and just uh, have a few moments of meditation and time together. But may this be our response, a time of coming back to God, a time of worship, a time of celebration, and a time of responding to his invitation. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. God, we're just uh, overwhelmed by your invitation uh, that the God of the universe would invite us uh, who are so little, so less, uh, that we might come and talk to you and that you would listen to all of us, that you do not distinguish between those who uh, are, are prayer warriors and those who are prayer novices. God, may, may we all grow in this, uh, this, this area of worship and uh, seeking you but God, today we come uh, thanking you for Jesus and for his love, for his sacrifice upon the cross, for what he did for us, Lord, and acknowledging our need for him in our lives. God, we, uh, we are 
so frail. We fail you so often. But we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your restoration. God, may all of us seek you. May we pray first about everything in our life. Offer all these things up to you, not being anxious, but trusting you in everything. Lord, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.